I actually put out a tomato timer in Bruce's honor. Uh, I guess let me record a little intro here that Bruce can use if he wants to. Um, I'll try to mimic him a little bit. Snow Day Pod listeners, this is Lesson Steve with an extra, 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 extra. <laughs> it's probably been a long time since you've heard Steve or my voice. Not because we have been protesting or avoiding the pod, but because we have been shut out to a certain degree. I think, Steve, <laughs> yeah. the last time we appeared on a Snow Day pod was in February, which is six months In February, ago. yeah. Uh, yeah. Bruce and George have gotten together a couple of times at Studio P and recorded yeah. uh, uh, individual conversations. Uh, Jorge yeah. loving the sound of his own voice on the mic. Now, yeah. this time, yeah. we complained enough that Bruce has sent us the raw audio of their conversation talking about teachers and Mike Smith. This is Steve and I <laughs> going to attempt <laughs> to do the same thing and uh, hopefully yeah. make it more interesting than theirs. <laughs> okay, ready? One, two, three, go. It's September 2023. This is a Snow Day podcast extra, extra, extra. As Les alluded to, it's a conversation George and I had at World Headquarters and their comments from the peanut gallery. Here is Teachers. Here's the disclaimer from the Muppets. If he leaves any of this in, because you know... The listeners should oh, understand uh, that this is going to now have to go back to Bruce and he's going to yeah. edit it all out. Yeah. So if you hear yeah. any of the good stuff, you know, you're, yeah. you're fortunate. And I want to, for the record, we're the dead weight. We Just are the dead weight. Yeah, we, we don't show up for podcast recordings. We have nothing right. interesting to say. I'm not invited to Bruce's cottage at Paint Lake, apparently. <laughs> and here's the real disclaimer. In this episode, we all take more shots at each other than we normally do. We didn't really mean it, I hope, but it just felt like the vibe of the episode. We're all still friends, and we all still love each other. And if anything in there offended you, we didn't really mean to do it. Well, maybe George did. He just thought it was funny. He didn't really mean it. I hope. We are the Snow Day Podcast with me, Bruce Krentz. Honorary member of the Thompson Teachers Association. I got to get this off my chest right away. I hang out with a lot of teachers, obviously, Marnie, and really most of our social circle is teachers. We, that's who we hang out with. Our family physician, Dr. George Alvarez. Dude, you're like the mafia. You're so connected. There's nothing wrong with teachers. There's nothing wrong with the Mystery Lake School Board. This is the worst topic to talk to you about. Rose-colored glasses over here. Therapist to all staff. On the Snow Day podcast, Stephen DeGroot. Has Bruce been paid by the administration to to not comment on <laughs> what's going on? It was starting to get really creepy. Dual citizen, Leslie Hansen. It's Canada and France. You'll hear about it soon. Uh, every time Jorge tried to prompt Bruce for his feelings about teachers or principals or administration, all Bruce would say is, look, I'm friends with lots of teachers. I ain't saying nothing about nothing. <laughs> well, I think, you know, Bruce, Bruce just generally kind of lives his life in fear 
there's a lot of sources of social fear for him involved in that community, I'm sure. Snow Day podcast extra. George is back at World Headquarters. It's basically like this is a me and you podcast. You just come to Thompson, we record extras, and the other guys are now dead weight. You know, I do have a visceral reaction to being called a deadwood. I think that's a nice summation. I specifically <laughs> come to Thompson now to do pods because we can't wrangle these four guys to do one pod. So I'm more committed than Steve and less. What would be my check-in is we've spent no end of time at uh, Studio P in the last, whatever, three and a half months, and especially the last month, I feel like I'm running a, a resort and conference center. It's been absolutely awesome, but we've had just non-stop company and people coming and going, and uh, been a lot of fun. At least four, maybe five good dance parties and uh, an unexpected drop-in from Murph and his girlfriend and some of their friends. A little shout-out to Hannah, who's a Snow Day podcast listener. Um, and uh, they ended up spending a night that we didn't see coming, but we had so much fun. And uh, yeah, it's been absolutely crazy. Been looking forward to having you here. This is sort of the, you're, you're the last stop on our company tour for a little while, so it's... So Hannah is Murphy's... Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Okay, so if I meet her, I'll be questioning her yes. on some facts about our <laughs> of our pod. What is her favorite pod? What is the funniest thing I've said, et cetera, et cetera. Well, mostly, <laughs> mostly questions about you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm tired about talking about me. Why don't you talk about me? <laughs> <laughs> and she had four friends that she works with in Winnipeg come up uh, for a for a long weekend, and uh, it was pretty. It was neat to host them and good to be able to show off the north to some people that don't often come up here. So it was, uh, yeah, it turned out super fun, beautiful day. Well, I hope that uh, my kids get to enjoy the same thing because we're heading out to the lake after this recording. As soon as they wake up, maybe. <laughs> yes, I've already texted the respective people to wake up my deadbeat kids. Get out of bed. Best it. Best. I'm, I've become my father. My God, it's 7.30. Why aren't you up yet? Get going. I've done more today. I've done more already today. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, bleh. What else with the check-in for you since since May 11th? Is that Mother's Day? I don't know what day you were here. Yeah, so I've probably golfed, mo not probably, I have golfed more this year than I've ever had in my entire life. I probably golfed three golf seasons already, so it's been really fun to kind of get pretty okay consistently at golf. I've had two pod day uh, experiences. Mike DeGroote and I had drinks on my patio just about a week and change what? ago. I know, I, th I thought you'd appreciate the I Mike DeGroote. It ties a little bit into what we're going to talk about later on. So he he and Lisa, because their four girls are all growing up and independent, uh, they want to do a, a tour out west and catch some Jays game on the west coast. So uh, he stayed at my house. He slept over. And uh, so that was a fun visit. And then just last week, uh, Gerald Chartier, a friend of the pod, was out with his family in Canmore, and we caught a, a golf game together. We got rained out, which is funny because... Calgary is basically semi-arid and it rained once in six weeks and we chose to golf <laughs> that day uh, but uh, it was a really it was a really fun day so th those are the I guess the big I'm sure there's a few other things but I wanted to concentrate on the pod listeners of interactions are our, our, the larger pod family exactly friends of the pod I got one more check-in that I got to drop in because I, I had a snit going uh, you're wearing socks right now wool socks uh, it's August third today i think or fourth something like that uh at, at world headquarters we have air conditioning now central air 
and it's been freezing in here since the beginning of July. So despite my belly aching about it and not wanting to get uh, air conditioning, Marnie pushed for it, got it all set up and it's not bad, but I still have a little trouble swallowing the fact that in Thompson, Manitoba, we need air conditioning. Well, you know, I'm a climate denier. That's what Les always says, <laughs> which I'm not. But uh, yeah, it's because as you get older, you get weaker and you enjoy the comforts uh, of modern society. It's true. And, you know, <laughs> and uh, unless you're like a Swedish teenager who crosses the ocean on a boat, people, you know, like to be comfortable. So you, you can't be blamed for that. Turns out you got Marnie's back more than mine, yeah. but uh, I have enjoyed it a bit since we have it. Uh, and one small part of it was, uh, you're right, not having to keep the windows open because we have a neighborhood that rises early. Like we have a asshole, I shouldn't call him an asshole neighbor because I love him very dearly, but he's a little bit like you. He starts his days early and uh, sometimes it's loud. He drives a taxi, so sometimes he's up at five in the morning and, uh, and it's nice not to have the windows open because it's just a little bit quieter. We're getting older, it's harder to sleep. My mother just, uh, so for when I was back here in May, there, the present that we gave our mother was like a portable air conditioner. Yeah. And it's, uh, we got some plexiglass, we, Bonnie got some plexiglass cut out from Norman glass that fits uh, both at the front and the back of the house. And it's this portable unit. They're fucking loud. Like it's <laughs> ridiculous. Like it's, it makes the house really comfortable because it's a tiny footprint but you literally can't watch TV. The thing is like, it, it's like a diesel powered. <laughs> it, it, it's so loud that she's so used to it. You, I mean, you almost have to yell to talk to her and she's in the kitchen. Uh, so uh, so not just you, but Conchita at 48 Hemlock has a portable AC. Has AC. But she waited to be 80 years old to get it. And you like... 53. You're... you're, you're, you're She's stronger than you. Yeah, well, she always has been, always will be. It's a, it's a no doubter. Yeah. I just want to, for the record, say that the last 10 pictures I've had, so of, of George Alvarez has been golfing, fishing, uh, boating. I, Bruce, it sounds like he's been at Club Med. He set his place up like a resort. I've just been having the best summer of my life. I don't know about you, Les, but I've been doing this thing called working. I did find it interesting how they started off by trying to claim that we were dead weights because we were unschedulable. Without a doubt, Jorge is the toughest one to get on a call. Whenever Krentz throws out, what are your available dates? I would say historically, 60 to 70% of the time, he's the one that can't make the suggested date. So he has <laughs> got by far the worst attendance record when we're all trying to get together. And then the other thing, I gotta take I gotta take a shot at Krentz here too, because I, I would like to point out that they recorded their part while George was uh, up at Krentz's cottage on August long weekend. I made it very clear to Bruce a year ago that I wanted to bring my wife to Thompson. She's never been. She would love to go. She's saying all the time, "When are we going to plan? You know, scheduled trip to Thompson. I want to see your hometown." And I said to Krentz, let's schedule this. Let's do it August long weekend. And he said, no, my cottage is not available <laughs> August long weekend. You cannot come. You are not welcome at Paint Lake August long weekend. Yeah. Much to my surprise, I then see photos of George and his kids fishing off the dock <laughs> at Krentz's cottage and having a gay old time. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that I feel a little uh, uh, left out. But uh, a little you know, rebuffed, rebuffed, yeah, if yeah. you will. I think I think Bruce and I are going to have to have some words. 
it's um, it's 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 hard to take the piss out of Bruce, but yeah, I think you got a legitimate you got a legitimate case there. <laughs> okay, I can't help but I have to defend myself. It is true. I told Les he wasn't welcome August long weekend. We had lent the place to the neighbors, so George and I were renters in my own space. We did in fact do some fishing off the dock. We used the deck, but the rest of the place wasn't ours. Just say. Give me 60 seconds max. Give me your check-in for the last six months. Uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, the last, oh, geez, the last <laughs> six months, I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, the boys, uh, Braden has moved to the Hague. Uh, so both boys have graduated wow. since February. He graduated engineering with honors. Zane graduated Red River with honors. Zane is working, uh, selling real estate. You're going to love this. He's leading his pack of rookies uh, in his in his first sales job. Uh, it's quite stressful, but he's doing well. And, and Bray is doing a mechanical engineering uh, doing offshore wind farming uh, for a company out of Copenhagen. And uh, Catherine and I are still doing well back and forth between Toronto and, and Winnipeg. Uh, and I've been uh, restructuring Brivia. And uh, biggest thing is I am working hard on this book, man. I've been uh, culminating 25 years of this core algorithm, uh, this new social psychology uh, that I've been working on is, uh, is going to be out in spring of 2024. And it's not an easy endeavor. It's uh, trying to make one of the most one of the most complex theoretical orientations simple. But it's fun and uh, it's great. So the biggest thing for me, Alex and I went overseas to uh, to live in Paris for a while. Tried very hard to get a podcast recorded while we were over there, but Bruce would not. Uh, I, I think the French language barrier terrified him, and he didn't want to record while I was over there. I was ready to go. That was an awesome time. Um, we had we had planned to spend three months there. We had to come home a little bit early because, unfortunately, uh, Alex's stepdad Brian passed away. He was uh, he was a great guy. I know you guys all got to meet him, and uh, he gave a, a real ripper of a drunken wedding speech. Uh, I'm glad you guys got to experience that because that was uh, obviously a big loss for the family. Um, but that's behind us now. So now we are um, we're back home, moved back into our place. Uh, Alex is working like crazy. I'm settling back into work. I'm actually sitting tonight in my my new office space, Steve, which you're gonna have to yeah, come over and check yeah, out. Yeah. I I finally got out of my the lease on my big empty office that I was forced to carry through COVID, even after all of my employees had gone home. <laughs> so I finally got out of that, and I've picked up uh, just a small office space for myself, which is right in the building right next door to mine. So I now have the uh, I have an even greener commute to the office than Krantz. <laughs> uh, when he's riding his bike, because I I uh, literally step out the door of my building, I walk forty paces south, so and you, I step into right. the the door of this building. So you couldn't so, have minimized uh, your footprint good. any less, uh, you know, uh, literally and figuratively. I literally go home to use the can <laughs> when I I got up. I'm like I got to take a leak. All right, I got to walk All home. All right, take a leak. I love it. I love it. I love it. Happy to be back and happy to getting into normal life. Uh, so we heard I. We couldn't even remember exactly who brought this to the Snow Day group chat. We're think, we think it's less. I'm pretty sure. Too lazy to go look back. That uh, Mike Smith passed away. It was me that reported to the pod a few months back that I'd heard he passed away and thought we should give him a shout out. Who was a teacher of ours through grade seven and eight? For sure, eight. Uh, and for some of us, it was seven and eight. Seven and eight. eight. At Juniper. Like, feels like a big part of the Juniper school experience to me, even though I think he was only like you say, like my actual formal teacher for a year, coached us in softball probably and a couple of couple of other things, I think. And he passed away. That got us thinking about teachers, but uh, we wanted to give him a little bit of a shout out. What's some of your thoughts? What's some of your memories of uh, Mike Smith? 
Well, I remember Mike Smith was the first guy that looks like all the guys that served me coffee in Calgary, where he had like a big beard and long hair. Uh, he certainly pushed us academically. He's one of the few teachers I felt that expected more than I could give. And he was the first person that I saw that took cycling seriously. He always cycled everywhere. Like even before you cycled everywhere in winter, he cycled everywhere, including winter. And he had uh, like, he'd order those backpacks and he would like go to Sending Lake. Like he would do crazy long rides. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So he was, I remember thinking, I I really knew nothing about cycling until this. And he introduced us to the Tour de France. Like I remember he would be talking about it. And, uh, you know, so I have a pretty positive look back on him. Um, I thought he might have been a little bit too competitive with, uh, you know, grade eight boys, <laughs> <laughs> both times. physically and mentally. I think Les and I have talked about that specifically. However, overall, since um, looking back, everybody romanticizes things and puts a sheen on, and I like to put a positive shine on thing. I think he was, you know, an overall good teacher and definitely pushed us and I specifically remember me and you where we were getting bored in the class and we were doing some history or social studies and then we dressed up as knights he, he <laughs> let us right. out of a test he let us out of a test if we could live a life of a knight and what it would be like to be in armor so we came to your house and we put tinfoil on all your hockey, <laughs> hockey gear, gear. <laughs> and I had the morning and you had the afternoon uh, and I mentioned that because he was one of the first teachers I remember that was willing to get outside the curriculum. Like he was flexible versus, which I think we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, teachers is our topic, is uh, he had more flexibility than most teachers versus a lot of teachers that were like, we need to get through this curriculum, check, check, check. I remember he knew he had a good group of boys and girls and he let us um, wander a little bit, which I appreciated about him. Yeah, no, for sure. I Looking back, I, I remember that a little bit. I also remember him sort of being, uh, for sure, he was a young teacher at the time. And like you said, sort of like that Tour de France, like pretended to be or was more worldly wise than a lot of our teachers and a lot of the people we passed through, right? So he would always have music or often had music going in the classroom, but it wasn't the mainstream bubblegum pop of the day. Like Kraftwerk was one thing, right? That German kind of I don't think you could call them metal band, but, uh, and even made us some cassettes. Like I still have a cassette of Kraftwerk and then Genesis, Genesis on the other side. So he, I think he was sort of trying to, you know what I mean? Like sort of push us to kind of look outside at Thompson, Manitoba, even though we weren't spectacularly old. And so that's looking back, that's kind of how I see him. Um, the last time that I saw Mike Smith in real life was quite a few years ago. So when I was working for Thompson Unlimited, we were looking for a spot for the jet engine test facility. So that was before it was built and I was part of the group that was doing that. We rented a helicopter to fly around Thompson to look for a spot to put this jet engine test facility. We had a couple ideas and it was before drones and iPhones. So we had to hire someone to take pictures of it. And he had a picture taking business because he had retired. And that was sort of one of the things he was doing as a retiree. So I reached out to him because I knew him and it was, you know, a neat connection, gave him a few bucks. So him and I went for this helicopter ride to there and then we had rented the helicopter for an hour and the first part only took us about half an hour so then the pilot said anywhere else you want to go so we flew over studio p we flew over the cottage and got some pictures of the cottage we went to the ski hill uh but then at one point the pilot turned to me and he said hey we've got about 15 more minutes what else do you want to see 
And I looked over and I said, 15 minutes. I will not make 15 minutes. I was so motion sick. So I was in the front bubble of the helicopter, which I thought was so cool when we first got in. Yeah. And it made me, I don't know if you've ever done that, but it was awful. I was like, no, get me home. So we went straight to the airport and I miraculously didn't barf, but I, it was all I could do to hold it together. So I didn't, I'm not even sure if I said goodbye to him. Like I just, <laughs> just ran away, got my car, ran away, came home and I slept for about three hours. Marnie said, what's wrong with you? You're just green. And so I was massively <laughs> motion sick, but it was a fun trip to ride around with him. And then we got the photos and in the end, we built, or we, the jet engine test facility got built at the prime spot where we took the pictures. After he retired, I, I don't have any stories of him at all. So I'm glad that there is a good story around that. Yeah. And Bruce probably will relate to this. He can relate to it multi-generationally because he grew up, you know, his father was a principal. So he grew up with teachers in his house. My father was a school teacher. My, the entire social circle of my parents was teachers. So when my parents had people over for dinner, people over for drinks, it was the room was full of everybody was a school teacher, right? So all they talked about was school politics, who's the principal, who's a good principal, who's not. Like when, when Bruce was saying he remembers hearing that his dad was a teacher's principal, that's the type of thing that the conversation was always about at the, at the kitchen table over drinks or in the living room over drinks in my house when I was like a little kid. And it's interesting if you think that um, someone like, Mike Smith and many of the other teachers that we had, you know, got parachuted into this small remote town in the middle of nowhere from wherever the hell they came from. For some of them, it was probably a much bigger and cooler city than where they came from. But some of them might have come from Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, who knows, and are like, oh my God, I'm in the middle of freaking nowhere. The type of thing that TV sitcoms are made of. I, you know, I can't remember where Mike Smith was from, but he obviously had yeah. a lot of worldly experience worldly. before oh, for he sure. arrived. Yeah. Like on that note, I remember my dad, at one point he was head of the science department at Artie Parker, so he was hiring science teachers. So I remember one time, it was like the summer, and he's like, okay, kids, get in the car, we got to go to the airport. My brother and I are like, why? You know, we want to play baseball or something. Like, well, what the hell? He's like, nope, we're going to the airport. There's a new teacher arriving, a new science teacher who I have hired. He'd never met her, like a couple of phone interviews, right? But we've hired her. We got to pick her up at the airport, and we got to give her a tour of Thompson. And I'm like, I'm like what? And he's like... That's what we do. These are people yeah. arriving from, she's coming in from Toronto. I think it was Miss McCurdy. Do you remember oh, yeah. Miss McCurdy? Yeah. Diane yeah, McCurdy. I, yeah, I, I think it might have been yeah, her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, my dad made me and my brother, you know, two cute little boys walk up and meet her, you know, so she'd feel kind of, I think he just sensed like, okay, this, this woman is moving from Toronto. I think she was from Toronto to a small remote town. She's probably going to be freaked out when she gets off the airplane. I'll send these two cute little blonde haired, curly haired boys to meet her at the airport, you know, make her laugh a little bit. Then I'll give her a tour around. But how much of a crazy experience that must have been for teachers arriving in Thompson. Yeah. Some of them, I'm sure, turned tail and left pretty quickly. Others stayed forever, right? Because <laughs> Mike Smith, yeah. the other thing is, yeah. George, you know, Bruce had a great story of him in the helicopter. That was cool. All I remember is I, I bumped into him once as an adult when I was back visiting my parents. My dad took yeah. me to the curling club. Uh, Mike Smith was there, pissed out of his gourd properly. You know, everyone was, yeah. and he was yeah. having a good time, yeah. and he was happy. And he's like, Jesus, Les Hansen, I can't believe you're all grown up, you know, blah, blah. And I had a nice little two-minute chat with him. Um, so he stayed, you know, he stayed the rest of his life in this, in this yeah. pretty yeah. remote place. So obviously the experience yeah. was good for him too, right? Well, you meet a lot of people that say they came for two and they stayed forever. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, exactly. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff my parents were on that yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of, yeah. a lot of people were, you know, and yeah, you know, I don't know if that's, um, you know, the, I, you know, the question was about whether the culture changed or not, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because Bruce, you know, I think Bruce married his father. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, I grew up with uh, teachers all over the yeah. place, you know, and yeah. now I uh, you know, married a teacher. There's teachers here all the time. Yeah. Well, know? yeah. So that's what I meant <laughs> like, when Bruce oh, has it multi-generationally, right? Because when we yeah, were kids, yeah. I remember going over you to Bruce's it. place and we'd be playing in the basement yeah. and upstairs would be all yeah. teachers, right? And yeah. now I'm sure yeah. it's like, well, now his kids are growing up, but he would have had yeah. the same household. He would have had a house full oh, of teachers, yeah. drinking, playing music, teachers. kids yeah. in the basement, yeah. right? So he's lived yeah. his entire, entire yeah, life. Yeah. Now he's got to entertain though. When he was a kid, he could just leave. I thought they did a great job telling some some funny stories about him. I don't remember them dressing up as knights. I yeah. do remember how terrified George was when he got caught cheating on that test that he had a big red zero at the bottom of the list and he thought his mom was going to see it. I do remember that. Um, but it was it was definitely fun to hear those stories. When we reflect back in the 80s, it's like, you know, uh, everything's hindsight. It was the best of times and the worst of times. You know, we had teachers at the time that were, you know, kind of, uh, liberal and young and, you know, had all these hobbies and stuff and kind of brought, brought this easy goingness. So I, I like that. But then again, like, you know, I, I agree. He gave us some autonomy. I want to say that overall, I thought Mike Smith was, was a great teacher. And as George said, brought some cool things in like the, the tour de France and got us reading Shakespeare and, and really gave us was flexible. Right. And I remember that because, Hey, bless. If you look at that class, I mean, I experienced this through our whole career as students, we're always in a class where people say you're the toughest group. Like if you look at that group, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like Lord have mercy on Mike Smith because we were probably really hard to wrangle. But yeah, yeah no, I, I shout out to him, and uh, you know, uh, I'm sure a big loss to the people that were still in his in his wheelhouse, friends and family. And uh, yeah, I mean, all in all, I would say Mike Smith is probably one of the more memorable teachers that I have. Yeah. Which in my mind means that he was probably one of the most impactful. Because I'll be honest, yeah. I don't even remember yeah. most of my teachers when I think back. There's very few that I yeah. that I remember. Yeah. And you know, people say, oh, who is your favorite teacher? Who taught you the most? I'm like, ah, I got to struggle yeah. for answers. But I remember yeah. Mike yeah. Smith, and I remember a few things about him. But what I remember yeah. most about Mike Smith's cycling is his actual bike. Because yeah. do you remember he would bring it into the class, right? Like into now, the class, that's right? common, yeah. Yeah. right? That yeah, yeah, you yeah. Expensive Back then it wasn't in the city. You're bringing it in wherever you are, right? Because it's going to get ripped off the wheels, the seat, whatever. Right? You're not leaving a bike outside. But when we were kids, yeah. nobody would think of bringing a bicycle inside a building, right? No, we rode up to each then. other's houses. We dropped our bikes in the driveway and got yelled at, or we dropped them on the lawn, and so they wouldn't get back to yeah. by cars. You, you would yeah. never think of bringing a bike in, inside a house. And I remember I used to sit and look at his bike, right? Because I, I probably because I was such a discipline problem. He made me sit at the front row. Um, and his bike was always at the front of the room and I would sit and look at it. And I remember thinking, I've never seen a bike that looks like this, right? We yeah. just rode bikes, but he had like, you know, he had been at some point a sort competitive, serious yeah. cyclist, right? Like he had a proper yeah. expensive road bike, the likes of which I had never seen. And I remember sitting, yeah. looking at it, like maybe 12 years old going like, wow, like, what is that? What is that all about? To me, the best part of this story is Guy Hansen had no end of bicycles in their yard. So if this bike impressed less, it was really something. Right. And when I, when I think about that, the fact that he brought weird, as, as Bruce described it, like 
wise worldly music into the room. He was playing like yeah. 80s electronica European music for us. And we we're like, whoa, what is this? We've never heard this music. I've never seen a bike yeah. like this. He opened my eyes to yeah. there's a big world out there that I know nothing about, which as a young kid growing up in a small yeah. remote town, pre-internet, pre-cable TV, even I don't think we even had cable yeah. TV yet as often, right? That yeah. was a huge thing. Like Mike Smith yeah. made me want to explore the world outside of Thompson, Manitoba. Yeah. And I think yeah. like, honestly, I think for me, it, you know, I'm not going to say it was all him, but he was part of that, which yeah. is the greatest yeah. gift I think that was ever given to me. And maybe one of the greatest gifts that you can give to a child, right? To the, yeah. the yeah. motivation for them to want to explore a larger universe, a larger purpose, a larger yeah. thing. And so yeah. I give Mike Smith a lot of credit for that. You're absolutely right. He brought things into the classroom. When you think about elementary school in a northern town, yeah. very, very closed, very myopic. And yeah. when you think about it comparatively, uh, it was a fishbowl that had no windows, right? Yeah. And like you said, Mike Smith really brought in uh, you know, different things, music, culture, even food sometimes that was well beyond the borders of what we knew. Yeah. So I can, yeah, totally appreciate that. I'm glad that you're, uh, you're bringing that up. Yeah. For sure. So that's my, like, that's my happy memory of Mike yeah. Smith and in, in his passing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if he left an impact yeah. on some, some kids in a small town in Northern Manitoba, then good on him. He made the world a better place and, uh, yeah. sorry to hear yeah. his passing. So most of this pod bounces back and forth between what George and I had to say and those Muppets comments on us. But this part's a bit different. I thought what they had to say set up our segment well. So here they are, having already heard what you're about to hear. Uh, you just listened to their audio. I just listened to their audio. I'll throw it to you first, right? Yeah. What did you think in yeah. general? What did you think of, uh, of their thoughts? You know, it was a bit snoozy in, in places. I think there was some, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to the good stuff. I, um, I love the way George was taking the piss out of Marnie. <laughs> <laughs> like she was just just upstairs you know and we know that she can take them so uh, you know i was just waiting for the storm downstairs the air conditioner story made me laugh like i just you know i just i know i know his house i know his mom uh you know um that just you know having that air conditioning running so loud and just being in that space made me uh made me laugh and uh reminisce a little bit about how crazy things can yeah. be at uh 148 hemlock how about 48, not 148. You're 53. You've known that for 48 years. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the points were good. We're going to talk about some of the points. So, yeah, we'll you know, talk about I some of the points. I think they made some good points and we can, we can yeah. check in. And then what, overall, what did you, uh, what did you think of the podcast? Well, I think my, my overall comment from a production standpoint would be, um, I think like when you're doing a podcast like that, right. When you're doing a two person conversation, not a group call you're doing a two-person conversation either you have a subject matter expert right one of them <laughs> interviewing the other and you're learning facts about this or you try to delve deep into feelings on both sides of the conversation right neither of those two things occurred because <laughs> even though they made reference to the vast number of teachers they have in their immediate atmosphere for some reason, Bruce was unable to get any of them to come on the pod and actually talk about what it's like to be a teacher in today's day and age. And for the record, one was less than 20 feet away. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right? So, so he had a Marnie, subject matter expert who was both an administrator <laughs> right. and a teacher. You make a good point. So 
retroactively. Challenge accepted. So don't touch that dial. And and for some reason, we got to delve deep, maybe another podcast. Yeah. Did she refuse? Did she refuse? Was she set up like we were not to be there? Well, I'm just, be. you know, these got, are this. Maybe she got cut these, out. And then the other thing was. Uh, every time Jorge tried to prompt Bruce for his feelings about teachers or principals or administration, all Bruce would say is, look, I'm friends with lots of teachers. I ain't saying nothing about nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I actually, I, I agree with you. I was a bit, I was getting a bit concerned. I'm glad it was a short extra because, um, you know, it was more like it was an X because I'm like, is Bruce been paid by the administration to, to not comment on <laughs> what's going on. It was starting to get really creepy. So uh, I was really glad when it ended. I couldn't believe well, I, I think, felt you know, so Bruce, much relief. Bruce just generally kind of lives his life in fear. <laughs> so, you know, there's it's a true. lot of, there's it's a lot true. of sources of social fear for him involved in that, uh, in that community, I'm sure. So, so anyway, yeah. that was, uh, that, that was sort of my general feeling listening to it. Talking about Mike Smith led you into wanting to talk about teachers, and and it is true we've got a lot of intersections with teacher and teachers and education in our lives. So what what made you check out the text to say, hey guys, let's all get together and talk about this? But then the other guys were too busy for us, so it's just us. Yeah, fuck those guys. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, your your dad uh, was a teacher. Both Les's parents were teachers. Uh, Dave DeGroote was a teacher. My baby sister is a teacher. I just mentioned Mike DeGroote. He's a teacher. Some of Dave's children are becoming teachers. I mean, she, teachers... She'll be upset, but you should mention Marnie. No, no, I was I was getting at... <laughs> well, Marnie didn't want it. I actually wanted Marnie to talk on this pod. So I just started to realize there's a huge amount of people in our very close inner circles uh, that are teachers and for me, who has done some form of education for the vast majority of his life, and, and now am a teacher, really, I, I train people, I am a type of teacher, um, I was just surprised that we haven't talked about the impact of teachers in our lives. <laughs> Maybe it's so ubiquitous, is that the right word? Yeah, that, that's that, that we just <laughs> didn't, didn't even see it, it was right in front of our faces the exactly. whole time. Exactly, and I, I wanted to talk about how you think teaching has changed. Mm. I got to get this off my chest right away. I hang out with a lot of teachers, obviously, Marnie, and really most of our social circle is teachers. We That's who we hang out with, and I hate them July and August, I, every year. It's just the most painful thing in the world to have to get up and go to work in the summertime when everybody around you isn't working. <laughs> now, with that said, in September, the, the thought of standing up in front of 30 kids every day, all day... Um, doesn't sound that appealing anymore and it's nice to be able to cut out of your office like you and I had a great coffee yesterday you just can't do that when you're a teacher right you don't quite have that flexibility so as painful as it is in July and August um, the rest of the year I think sometimes the rest of the world doesn't see kind of how hard that is and and some of the teachers you talk to say it's even a little bit lonely which seems kind of strange but especially at the high school level you're in your classroom with the kids there's not a recess break where all the teachers you know, hang out in the staff room. So it's not that you don't see people, but I've heard that a few times that it's actually a little bit lonelier than you think, which huh. is kind of surprising, but you're you're almost trapped, right? Again, you can't go for coffee with your friends. You can't, you know, take a day off to go on a small trip. Like, a lo you know what I mean? Like you're, you, you are sort of locked down for those hours that you're there, but they are probably a little bit shorter formal days than, you know, a lot of the rest of the working world. Well, that's good. I, I wanted that balance. Look, that's actually why I wanted Marnie to speak on it. Ask, and through the magic of editing, your wish will be granted.
Here's Marnie. I could see how that would be true for some teachers that they, they are feeling lonely when they're at work. For myself, that is completely untrue. <laughs> I'm very lucky in that I have many close friends that work at the high school with me. And so if I'm frustrated, if uh, something funny has happened, I can quickly go and share it with some of my very close friends. And, and I do feel very, very lucky to have uh, those people close to me at work. You know, my brother-in-law is a teacher. I forgot to bring him. <laughs> Leo's a teacher, and I literally was talking to him about it yesterday. And he's all, uh, what are you going to do today? He's all, I don't know. It's summertime. I'm off. I can do whatever I want. And he was like literally rubbing it in. He saw I might take a nap. And then, of course, we went. Then, then he took us fishing on his pontoon last night. So I, I think the teachers that do it right really, really enjoy their time off because for all the reasons you've just articulated, their time then gets eaten up. So I don't think that's, I don't think that's something that's particularly changed over time perhaps it has i just don't see how it because it's still the same structure uh but uh, I, I spoke to my sister bonnie and asked her what she thought was the biggest differences f- from her being a teacher now for when she went and then i was very interested to ask you how as a parent you handle teachers that interact with your children versus the way my parents interacted as a parent yeah i'm not sure if i'm the right person to ask just because we hang out with teachers so much. So the so the high school teacher experience, you know, sort of interacting with teachers is is interesting for us because I see them socially a lot. So then once you're interacting with your kids, there's a little bit of a different dynamic there. Just about every, you know, parent-teacher day when I would go, we already had an existing relationship with them. So it's a, it's a little bit different, but it's still, well, I think the other difference for us, and I'm not sure if it's the same as uh, in Calgary, but kids come with you right? So you almost never talk to the teachers one-on-one unless you reach out to them independently to say, hey, I'm worried about this. Or if they were to call and say, hey, something crazy has happened with your kid. Um, But otherwise, you're always there with the kids. And so I think that's a different dynamic. And I don't love it, but I can kind of see why nothing about me without me is is a good rule. Um, But I think that dynamic's a little bit different than when we were kids where, you know, your mom or dad went to parent-teacher day and you stayed home and just hoped to God that you know you hadn't screwed up too bad and they were hearing a bunch of bad things about you. You know, that's actually one of my top three things that I wanted to bring up as a point. The interaction and the communication stream is so different mm. back then than it is now. And the example is what you just brought up. The only way my parents knew anything was going on was through the report card and through the two parent-teacher interviews that happened. Or maybe there was only one yeah. and you never showed up. And uh, I remember my mother specifically saying in about grade five or six, because my dad worked, so he missed 100% of parent-teacher because it was always like I'm nine to five and he yeah. was at the mine. And at around five or six, grade five or six, I said, hey, mom, you know, the parent-teacher interview is, you know, next week, blah, blah, blah. She goes, you know what? I'm going to stop going. And I said, really? Why are you going to stop going? Well, it's been exactly the same thing for six years running. George is a good student, 
but he's disruptive to other people. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally the same review over and over again, meaning, yeah, he's a smart kid. He does well in school, but then he finishes all this work and then he goes bug somebody else. It's probably how I became friends with Les, who skipped a grade (laughs) since we're talking about teachers. He's, you know, he's the smarty pants of us all. And that's how we met Les is he moved up to us. Um, But the amount of communication I get from the principal, the vice principal, and the teachers are crazy. There isn't a week where we don't have 10 emails from Mm -hmm. their respective schools uh, giving us updates. Uh, If Sebastian is acting like a little shit, because he is, because he's like a teenage boy and he's not fully developed, I'll I'll get like a communication to say, hey, you know, Sebastian is misbehaving or he's being disruptive or could you please tell Seb to reconcentrate? It's like constant little micro communications. Like they just, they don't let anything lag. Partly I suspect out of fear from the parents that Mm. would say, how come you didn't tell me this at Christmas time? Why are you telling me this in March or April when the school year is almost Mm. over? So I find that interesting that I don't think they're communicating to be better communicators. It's defensive communication. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure I totally buy that. We we really got to see if Marnie will come down and talk to us a little bit because she's well. Too she's, bad she's not here. She, she can't defend her profession. <laughs> so I guess I want to defend myself a little bit uh, because George was giving me such a hard time about not coming on the pod when him and Bruce were recording. There are two reasons. The first one is I am not a yakety yak like these four. And I don't like to hear myself. Uh, I'm an introvert. So it may be hard to understand, George, but that's how it is. The other reason is at the end of June, our high school had a PD where we had a couple union officers come up from Winnipeg and speak to all the teachers about social media, warning us to be careful on social media, what we say, what we post, Uh, what we're doing behind the scenes of someone else's posting. And pretty much by the end of that day, everyone was terrified. So when I was asked to speak and that this would be recorded and and publicized, I was like, "Uh, I don't know if I want to do that because it was quite fresh. From from talking to her and some of the other teachers, I don't get that sense that it's that it's a worry that parents, although for sure they know that it, that's going to help, right? But I think part of it is it's just there's a little bit easier streams of communication. So you probably have Parent Connect or I don't know what your system is called, but you know where you can yes. log in and you can see basically minute by minute where the kids are at with you know, in terms of tests they've written and things like that. And so things that are outstanding. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. And so that communication is just that much easier, you know, in when you were in school, they would have had to phone every parent um, and likely do it in the evenings, which wasn't out of the question, but it, and I'm sure it happened, but it, this is just considerably easier, right? So I would say that both comments are true here. As far as George saying some of the communication is defensive Uh, Honestly, that's kind of true because uh, if a parent does call and say, oh, nothing has been done, we actually have record of contacting the parent on a specific date and we actually have a program where we record every contact with a parent so then the administration can look and see what teachers have contacted, what was the result, what was this regarding 
And it's also good for other teachers. If I had contacted home, another teacher teaching that student can look and see and say, okay, yeah, so Marnie's having the same issue with this student, or maybe that's why the student is acting this way, because in, in Marnie's class there was an incident. So that's super helpful. And absolutely, the communication is much better. I did have to make those phone calls home back in the day. It is just so much easier. So everybody who's got access to email and, and stuff like that, they're, they're, I don't know if hassling is not the right word, but <laughs> it certainly can get to that, right? But yeah, yeah. Um, in, in the best cases, it's parents, concerned parents, communicating to um, make sure that their child is getting the appropriate education that they, that they should get. And I would say the biggest difference since COVID was when there was an expectation to educate people at a distance. Now it seems to almost be uh, an expected norm. Mm -hmm. So, for example, everybody's back in class and somebody's sick and, you know, they request that you um, broadcast your class online and share your desktop with them at home and share stuff digitally and and it's like okay are am i sharing digitally or am i sharing handout copies in class because the wherewithal of doing that is different it takes different brain space different time yeah. constraints right and so you've got to carve out your own time and some of the young teachers are trying to do it all and i'm yeah. just that old fogey that uh says look everything's digital man like if you're in class you get yeah. it digitally and if you don't have a phone, belly up to one of our laptops we got here or a, yeah. a computer. I'm not doing both. So, I mean, I yeah, kind of yeah. get away with that. Yeah. Not being really, you know, rough with kids yeah, about yeah. it, being friendly and, and joke around with them. But mm. that's kind of how it is. In case you're wondering who that is, I'll let Steve do the introductions. All right. I'm sitting here with uh, my brother and a teacher of uh, 30 years, probably. Hi, Mike. How long have you been teaching? I think, so. well, since 1994, so... Yeah, do the math. almost 30 years. Yeah. But I think the world has changed too. In those days, you, even as a student, oftentimes you didn't know what your report card was going to say. I mean, you had a good sense for it, but you still kind of got it and opened it up and thought, hmm, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that, that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I remember. Uh, it's funny. Mike Smith was the only teacher that caught me cheating and I got a zero. <laughs> the only one that caught you. The only one that caught me. Uh, no, I wasn't. It, it's funny because he used to put his the marks up in grade eight on everybody's marks, which I think in retrospect back is terrible because if you were a good student, you could see all these awesome marks. And then he put like a zero, like in red. And I was so terrified that my mom would see it, but she had already committed the year before to not coming to any more parenting <laughs> interview, so I was good. So I'll, I'll bring up my second point, which is why I think my first point is valid. Administratively, I don't think teachers feel that they've got their backs as much as they used mm -hmm. to. The, the administration is not on their side. They're on their parents' side. And that's partly what you said about society changing and expectations, that more is put on the teachers to make these kids right versus, well, actually, that's a parent's responsibility, not theirs. And so I think that's a big change. They're making decisions that are actually not in the best interest of the kids or the teachers. It's society at whole and the parents. That's why I think the communication is defensive. Uh, and uh, I, I would be shocked if Marnie hasn't come home in the last few years and has said, you know, my administration is doing something stupid and people don't even want to pipe up about it because they know they're not going to have their backs covered. I 
honestly can't remember Marnie saying stuff like that, but the administrate we're good friends with the administration at the high school. So <laughs> Dude, you're like the mafia. You're so connected. There's nothing wrong with teachers. There's nothing wrong with the Mystery Lake School Board. This is the worst topic to talk to you about. <laughs> Rose-colored glasses over here. <laughs> no, no. Every, everything's not, uh, certainly not perfect, right? And uh, some of that's probably school to school. It's interesting you say that because I remember, one of the things that I remember, so my dad was a principal for a long time, yes. right? M- much longer than he was ever, he basically wasn't a classroom teacher. He was a, a count- counselor and then got into administration. Um, but from talking to his friends, you know, or like like people that he worked with, and in those days, um, there was lots of staff parties, like there still are, but but I remember that being a, a pretty tight group, right? And people would show up at our house at 11 o'clock at night thinking it was funny, like, haha, we showed up at the boss's house, we've all been out having a party, and yes. now we're going to, he has to invite us in, basically. Like, that happened numerous times, and he liked it, so it wasn't a, wasn't a bad thing. But uh, from talking to them, they always said that he was a teacher's principal, but I got the sense that that wasn't the case everywhere, right? So they didn't straight up say, you know what, at that other school, the, the principal is more about administration and where the teachers, he was, he was more on their side than some other people would be. And probably that hasn't changed. So probably what you're saying is true. Um, I always took that as a compliment to him, but I could see where that might have caused him some friction with his other work colleagues. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that would be, you know, perhaps common in your dad's time, it would be extremely rare nowadays for that. That would be an exceedingly unusual compliment for a principal to get. I also have some of my son's parents uh, are both administration and uh, teachers, and that is not their Mm. sentiment. And it, it sort of leads me into why I think this is happening. The roles that teacher have have expanded they are now expected to parent them, that it's like free daycare for them. Uh, Number two, they're social workers. And so there's more and more expectation placed on the teacher to uh, to take care of these kids. I suspect that breeds a little bit of resentment. It just seems like, obviously, if you talk to teachers, the shortest answer you're going to get is we just do so much. You start off your year and you're getting health plans for everybody who has anything from asthma to a life-threatening, I got a kid in class with a cardiac thing, and you get these, you're just aware of this, right? So then you get EAPs, right? Which are plans to help the kid uh, and you're having to tailor education plans for kids, worry about health and that sort of thing. And then what's worse is then you get parents coming in and yelling or getting mad at the teacher that their kids are performing. And when we were young, especially in my household, there might have been two sides of the story, but to quote my deceased dad, I don't care what your side of the story is. Because he was, that's the teacher, that's the adult. I don't care if they're wrong, they're right, because they're the boss. There is no way that sentiment exists now. I think it's confrontational. I think people... um, come almost a little bit scared because even the feedback that I've had at parent-teacher interviews almost seems inane and vanilla. Like it's mm-hmm. in no way helpful. He needs to develop skills to pursue this, blah, blah, blah. Like it's like meaningless jargon. Like there's actually nothing that's achievable or actionable. It's, it's just like phraseology. Like it's it's making words sound good. And I look at like their mother and look at the teacher, I go, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what do you mean to develop skills to pursue 
you know, a field of excellence. Like it, it just, it makes no sense at all. Uh, and I think it's because I think they're fatigued. Uh, mm. I think too much is placed on them. So I think that's a, a really big uh, difference. But again, for you, like, I guess Marnie has to do fuck all because she's friends with everybody <laughs> and all the administration. She just is show in, be a teacher, clock out, go home. I think that is not the vast majority of teachers now. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to give the impression she doesn't do anything. <laughs> she works hard. She was actually doing lesson plans at the lake a couple of days ago just because she's got some new courses that she's doing next year. So yeah. I, I don't want it to sound like that. But it is funny. You're right. I probably have a, a bit of a skewed view just because of all of the all of the connections that we have, right? And And so we see... Kind of see lots of that. I mean, one of the challenges in Thompson, and I'm sure what's changed for teachers is a, a changing demographic in Thompson. And mm. I mean, Marnie has lots of kids now that come to Thompson from another community and are now dealing with also living in a new house, whether that's with some relatives or like, you know, sort of being billeted out. Um, the changes that come with coming to that community, sometimes not as prepared as some of the students from Thompson. So there's, I think there's a, there's a bigger uh, you're right, basically social work component to that position now than there was before. And even if you're not feeling like you're giving counseling, you just have to be aware of, probably more aware of where kids are coming from and what their background's like. And not to say that our teachers never did, but you're right, it, it felt to us maybe as kids like that wasn't their worry. Kind of like what your dad said, right? Like, I, I don't care what happened before you got into this classroom. When you get to this classroom, you're going to do this work and you're going to do it well or you're going to fail. Yeah. <laughs> and now there's a little bit more leeway and, and hopefully some more supports for kids to make sure that, uh, that they're successful. How we treat the kids, you know, obviously when we went to school, somebody could be uh, ADHD or whatever, have difficulties in school. And I don't think there were the supports around that person to help them. So that's unfortunate. So we've gotten better in that respect. But on that note, though, it's really tailored so much around the kid, and, and, and as well it should be, but demand on teachers is incredible as a result. Well, I don't think you can fail. <laughs> like, I, I don't think... It's, it's harder. It's it, it, it certainly... It's like getting... Uh, it's like a government worker or a city of Thompson worker getting fired. Like, it's impossible. They're, <laughs> they're part of the mob. They're protected. Uh, they're a made guy. And uh, if you talk to any teacher to hold back a kid... If the family says you cannot hold back my kid, they can't hold back their kid. Like you can't fail. Like you literally cannot fail if the family insists on moving mm. forward. You know, I think that's a disservice ultimately to a child to be pushed ahead with their peers and then just ever increasingly struggling. Of course, that then feeds into, well, now you got to work harder. Uh, to make this uh, kid successful. So now you're going to spend more time on this kid and less time on somebody else's kid. And it's just, it's this big mulch of uh, less time spent on people who are independent, who can get the work done, and more and more on kids that are, are struggling. And there's now like an expectation. It isn't like, oh, I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart because I'm a good teacher. Is no, you have to do this. And I think that's extremely unfair for a professional like a teacher. That may be true in the elementary school system. I'm not that familiar as far as pass-fail goes there. But at the high school level, at our high school, you can definitely fail. I've seen tears. It happens. And I've taught the same kid in the same class three different times. That kid's name is... <laughs> Have we lost a little bit of a focus on the elite kids? 
you know what I mean? Like like you and I were in uh, advanced math and, yes. and some other sort of things that were like that. But maybe that's happening and we just don't see it as much, right? Like a, the, sort of the way society is and the things that we hear. I'm, I don't know. I, I think that's an excellent separate topic that the four of us can discuss because I don't think that's just in education. Yeah, it could be everywhere. I, I think that's everywhere. I think that's a very good topic. Bonnie said in Leo something like really basic, but I thought it was interesting because it's not just a reflection of teachers. She said there are way more men teachers than there ever used to be. So I started to think, since we're talking about a male teacher that died, and I thought I had a lot of male teachers and I realized I didn't. It's probably one of the great examples of gender equality in our society as teachers. And the other thing that's, and then it started making me think about what I do for a living when I was in, you know, back in the early 90s, there were hardly any male nurses. Now there's way more male nurses than female nurses. I just think about yeah. RCMP, like police, uh, female police officers. And I, it's just an example of when people say things aren't changing, you just need to look and things are changing. They're changing for the better. Now, they could be always changing faster. That's, of course it could be. But I think education is a very, is a nice shining example of the equality uh, of male and female and what, however you identify, that, that's a very good example of yeah. how things have changed in our society. You've really got my, my mind spinning around what my, my number was of teachers, but I, like, it, in my mind, it was 50-50. No way it was. No? I know you think that, because yeah. that's what it is now, but it wasn't. I got, I got Mr. Roundtree, Mr. Wheeler, Mr. Smith, Mr. Young, those are the yeah. only four male teachers I had in all of Juniper School. Okay, I was thinking high, like once we got to high school, then there was a there was a good number of. Yeah, maybe um, it was probably a little bit closer. McLaughlin, Burnell, uh, Finnan, George Hart. I know, but how many teachers are in Artie Hansen, Parker? A couple hundred. Lowen, no, not that many. Fifty, probably fifty. If there was ten male teachers in our high school when we were there, I'd be shocked. I bet you we can't come up with 10 teachers. Well, we won't count them out loud. It'll be really boring. They may have had uh, proportionally bigger impact because many of them were our sports coaches and you were the sportiest out of all of us. In fact, you barely went to school. school, (laughs) All you did was play sports. And then you pressured Murphy to be the sportsman of the year. So he follows dad's footsteps. Uh, Of course. It was a very interesting yeah. comment just out of nowhere. Like, say, she said, like, there's way more. And I thought, well, that's actually a good thing. That's not it, a bad thing. It's a great thing. Well, and this this embarrasses me almost daily. Whenever somebody says doctor, that's a male in my mind. Like, if you said doctor and you didn't say the, who the name was, in my mind, first, that's, that's a guy. And really, in Thompson right now, it's probably 50-50. I don't know um, in like in your experience, but it's close, right? So that shouldn't be that way, but that's just an old stereotype from forever ago. And, and I catch myself, especially in my work, we talk about doctors constantly, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it's kind of embarrassing for me. So I'm trying to change that somehow, but I, I guess I got to go to therapy. Well, just Mike, so a little shout out to the University of Manitoba. They were the first med school in the country when I got let in in 1992 that had 50% female and 50% male. It was actually something that we touted. So we were the first class uh, that had a 50-50. So, and that's not that long ago in our history. Like that's not not even me ago. That's like (laughs) half of me ago. 
you know, I think we digress a little bit there about, uh, you know, the appropriate gender equalization across society. I just wanted yeah. to highlight, I think education probably was ahead of the curve versus other uh, occupations. And I think it's something they should be proud of. Let me let me circle it back and, and maybe leave it on this. So back to uh, your mom stopping going to the parent-teacher days. So all through high school and most of elementary school, I went with Murphy and part of, or with both of our kids, uh, mostly because Marnie said, I work here. It's kind of weird for me to go talk, you know, go see my colleagues. And oftentimes it was like the next classroom over. Plus she was working on parent-teacher day, seeing other parents. So I'd go with Murphy and all through high school, he was a little bit like you. We'd go and I'd say, what are they going to say? And he's going to say, yeah, that I, I got to spend more time reviewing my work. Um, you know, I, my punctuation is bad, that I'm getting the concepts and I shouldn't sit beside Jared because I talk to him too much. <laughs> and, and then the next class, he was like massively self-aware and he was dead on every time. Like it was uncanny and the goods and the bads, right? Like kind of like what you said, like yeah. they'll say that I'm not focusing or I didn't hand in some of these assignments, whatever it would be, but that these are good things and bad. Finally in grade 12, he's like, dad, why are we even going? <laughs> The last one, I said, you know what? You're right. Let's not go. So we just we went to McDonald's instead. <laughs> so you played hooky with your son to a parent-teacher interview, yeah. <laughs> and your wife, the He's mother of your children, is a teacher. That is a spectacular way to end off. <laughs> you devalued the entire profession. <laughs> the whole system. The whole system. I, I just spent half an hour defending them, and now I've... <laughs> no, well, it's because you're in the system. You know it. You know that it's corrupt. I'm paid. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's true. Um, as to George's main point, do you think the culture around being a teacher has changed dramatically, or do you think George's view of it has changed, or both? I think school hasn't changed that much. Everything around it has. You know, school is one of the only institutions that hasn't changed since the Industrial Revolution. Interesting, right? And I think what they're what they're what they're struggling with is trying to keep things the same kids and desks, standards, tests, you know, when everything around them is changing. Yeah. It's, it's gone. It's supposed, it's still education when it should be learning. And, you know, I think the one good thing that George raised, and I think we would agree, and I do a lot of work with teachers now and principals and directors, and, uh, you know, he's right. Um, teachers are feeling unsupported by their administrators across the globe. There's a disconnect. But again, those administrators are also out of touch with their leaders, the boards. Yeah. Like, it's just these massive gaps and people are just overwhelmed trying to just go through you know you know my friend michael Unger said it years ago uh and this was this was easily 20 years ago so long ago said you know schools have become where young people go to watch old people work and <laughs> you know and and i think you know you've got you've got more complex kids adhd depression anxiety you've got less support from parents less people are doing community initiatives right and you've got more pressure so i think yeah i think I don't think the culture of teaching has changed. I think they're still trying to do the same thing mm -hmm. when everything else around them has changed, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and I think that's a, yeah. that's a different perspective to, to look at. I will agree with Steve here that as society changes, school itself does not change a whole lot. Uh, I think the main reason there is because education is so government-driven that it's hard to make major changes. Uh, when definitely some changes need to be made. Parental support has waned. I went to school because I feared my dad. 
if I didn't fear my father, I probably wouldn't have made it through school. Yeah, but didn't right? we do like everything they, when we were kids because we feared our fathers? Yeah, <laughs> Come on. yeah. Well, I think that's. I, well, yeah, we I all mean, lived in fear but, of our dads. But it was. But it was 70s. his interest. But it, yeah, but it was his his principle that you needed school that drove that right. It, like, because yeah. we all feared our fathers for different reasons. There's lots of people who fear their fathers, and their fathers say school sucks. Don't you know, don't, don't even bother. Yeah, sure. But you know, the parent teacher thing. That part of the discussion was interesting because. I was suspended several times. I was expelled. Like I was, I was a teacher's nightmare because yeah. I was, I, I always had difficulty with how teachers could mistreat us in the eighties and nineties. I couldn't, I couldn't understand how they could mistreat us and it was okay. Right. And nowadays my, like my boys are now 21 and 23, but I went to every one of their parent teacher interviews because I loved hearing the opposite of what my parents heard. <laughs> right. I loved hearing that they, you know, uh, I mean, I was, I was a, a popular in terms of social and kind and that stuff, but I was hard to handle. Yeah. Right? I was uh, disruptive and I was always difficult to wrangle, but to hear th the opposite, because my father always said, oh, wait till you have kids, you know, you're going to go through this too. And I have in many respects, but not in the school area. Yeah. They were amazing, you know, and as a, as a parent, there's nothing greater than hearing someone else tell you how great your kids are doing. Right. So I really looked forward to the parent uh, teacher interview uh, thing. The other note, though, about the culture change is Bruce touched on the elite thing. Right. I remember I was in the gifted. But my, my story is very consistent. I was in so many groups with you guys in the beginning, math, uh, going to the high school early. And then I dropped out because it's like it didn't serve me well. I'm like, I yeah. got to get up early. I got to like study extra. But with this idea of elite kids, like going back to the learning versus education, I think nowadays, if we, yeah, what do we do? We, we make elite kids who are good at math and reading and writing, and then they suck at uh, dysregulation and mental health. Like, yeah. you know, we put them out in the world and they haven't learned how to actually uh, do life. And I think if the school can do one thing, it's to pivot and get kids ready for life versus ready mm -hmm. to, you know, ready to read and write. I think to, to kind of bring it back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, Bruce and I as kids had a lot of exposure to teachers. George did not. He had none. His exposure to teachers were the teachers that taught him in class. His parents, as he said, didn't even go to parent-teacher interviews, right? So his, you know, he kind of had a dividing line, whereas I had a house full of teachers gossiping all the time, right? Me and my brother would eavesdrop. Um, and now George, as an adult, has friends, clearly, who are teachers. So now he hears the behind-the-scenes stories, and he's like, wow, I think it's much worse than it used to be. I think what I would say is a lot of that is he just had no idea what it was actually like. Because I can tell yeah. you in the, you know, early 80s, the teachers sitting around our living room were always the, the same topics of conversations. I'm not supported enough by my principal. What are we going to do about this administration? You know, they're yeah. out to get us. So I, I, I'm not sure that I, I agree that that feeling of being unsupported has actually increased as much as George's visibility into it has from his standpoint. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's what I would have said to him. Yeah if I had been allowed to come on the pod with those guys. Um, if you weren't edged out, I was not if you weren't edged out, speak. you were edged out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to have to say yeah. that in absentia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the other thing, there's a couple of things I wanted to respond to men teachers versus uh, uh, male teachers versus female teachers. Cause immediately <laughs> I had a very, <laughs> a yeah. very different experience. I'm going like, I can remember like, yeah. A, what did he claim that female we, teachers that, we can't name 10. He we said there's no way 10. there were even 10 male teachers at Artie yeah, Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to and see I was we walking and I was, the top of our heads? Well, yeah, here, let me, let me go. Like I was okay. naming them while I was walking, listening. I did the okay. first, uh, I, okay. There was Dieball. Uh, how could you forget Halton? 
uh, uh, Mr. Anzine. Oh, uh, Glenn what, Anzine. What you, Good one. Yeah, 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 Glenn Anzine. Yeah. Little fun fact Glenn Anzine is the principal who hired me back in 2000. What, what, who do you have? Who do you have? Uh, well, got, obviously, my more, dad. Uh, I'll go through like, okay. when I think about like my dad, Mr. Hansen, yeah. Vic yeah. Lowen, who we did a show yeah. to, had their classroom yeah. right beside him for years. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, Eric Overall, <laughs> who was science yeah. and then did yeah. phys ed yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dave Hickey, our French teacher, who took George <laughs> yeah. and I to uh, uh, to yeah. Quebec City. McLaughlin, okay. uh, Sapinski, Eight, right? Science and, yeah. and math. Uh, McLaughlin was math as well. Skym, Skym. Uh, was banned. So there's your uh, ten. Uh, Finnan, Finnan, uh, Mr. Finnan, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Science, Bob Burnell, uh, chemistry, who, who was Burnell, the math uh, yeah. Uh, Nichols in the in the industrial arts, right? Bob Nichols. Oh, yeah. Fact check: That was Jim Nichols down in shops. Yeah, you had uh, Noble, uh, Noble uh, from Freeman. biology. You had Mr. Mr. Freeman. How can you forget Mr. Freeman? <laughs> and Mr. Hart, right, is co-conspirator in the English department. Like we could stop there. <laughs> stop there just out of out of mercy. How about All we right, stop? So there you go. Stop out of mercy. There you go, Jorge. It took us less than sixty <laughs> seconds to name ten male How teachers. many was that? Uh, oh, I, I, that had to be at 10. least fifteen. I stopped at ten. I, it was probably Bruce fifteen. Can, Bruce can probably <laughs> Bruce back can run a count for us. That was sixteen. In one minute and seven seconds. Are we finished on teachers? Any other thoughts on teachers? Something we didn't get and we're guessing is what are, what would you say, what are the two or three things that are the, like that you have found in 30 years? What are the greatest things about being a teacher? Mm -hmm, For sure. I think, I think that um, one thing's becoming really apparent to me as I get ready to retire is uh, how much I'm going to miss the relationships that I build with the kids um, every year, like clockwork, whether you had a great year the past or whether you've had a terrible year the past, it's like a restart, right? You push a button, you restart, and you've got new kids coming in with the exact same amount of energy. Of course, it seems like it's more energy, but of course, it's your, <laughs> it's your energy that's waning over the years, right? But, but you love the energy they bring, and they're smiling, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, joking around. And, and for some inexplicable reason, you know, some of the kids might walk into the class not really liking your class before you even start, but most kids, for, like I said, some inexplicable reason, love me. Before even knowing me, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's addictive. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. the, so these impressionable young minds and they're so much fun. Mm-hmm. So I get a kick out of that and I love that. That's easily one of the best parts about the job. Another big perk, obviously, and people always say it is, oh, they get summers off, they get Christmas off, they get spring break off. Well, A, I'd like to say without going into it, it's necessary just to recharge your batteries. Yeah. Trust me. Um, but... I do appreciate it. And from a more of a community and uh, family point of view, it affords me the time to have generated beautiful relationships with all four of my daughters. You know, we get to hang out and spend that time together. And I, I feel mm-hmm. sad for other people who are in professions where they can't share those holidays yeah. with their kids. And then I just love sharing those holidays and, and generating that relationship. And a third one, you know, something that maybe, other people don't appreciate as much. I like the opportunity to volunteer to coach. I've been coaching volleyball. I've run environmental uh, clubs and astronomy clubs and things like that. And although people will disagree with me on that because it's not paid and it's totally volunteer, it gives you a chance to get to know those kids. Once again, back to that relationship thing, right? Mm-hmm. Gives you a chance to see kids outside of your classroom. And of course, you see a different personality, different side of them. So um, yeah, there's lots to like about teaching, and that's and that's it. 
So it does seem like we've been hitting all the hard parts of teaching and the difficulties and it is something that you're kind of called to. You don't uh, do this for years and years and and stay with it if you're not enjoying it. So I would say the things that really light me up is the cheerleading part. Uh, Bruce kind of reminded me when I come home, lots of times it's a kid that has challenges, that is struggling in some way, that when they have success, I'm like, wow, you wouldn't believe this kid today. You know, this happened and, you know, it, I feel good about it and I'm, I'm proud of them. And those things make you feel really good. You know, teachers take a lot of shots about, you know, yeah. getting time off and stuff like that. But I don't think unless someone's really been in it, it's tougher than we think. It's tougher than ever. And, you know, most of those people have been called to do that. Because yeah. if they're still standing and they haven't left this field, they've been called to do it. Right. And I think we should respect that. And shout out to all teachers doing their best. That's yeah, it. That's a good point, man. That's a good point and probably a nice note to finish it on. Thanks to Michael DeGroote and to Marnie for giving us some real insight into something that we could only speculate about. And of course, to the rest of our team, social media, Todd, producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Krentz. You guys are my best friends, too thick and thin. We've always been together. We got to get out to Studio P, Georgie. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for coming to World Headquarters. Oh, that's uh, that's the only way we can get a pod. <laughs> that's the only way we can get anything done. <laughs> if you knew Joe Escanciano, you may want to keep listening. If not, the episode is probably over for you. A bit of a, a legendary guy in Thompson, uh, Jose Escanciano Sr. passed away oh. very recently. Oh, geez. All right. Well, shout out to him. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to him. You know, it's a, this one touches my heart. As you remember, the Escancianos lived directly yeah. across the street from us on uh, yeah. Dominion Bay and they were yeah. about the same age as us. Uh, so there was yeah. my brother, Chris and I, uh, Yoli, Nina and Jose Jr. Pepin. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, Pepin. Yeah. Our mothers were very close for many years. Like we grew up with them, with, with their family. And uh, Jose Sr. was a really cool guy. I read in his obituary today, I think it said he worked at Inco from 1966 to 2018. Wow. Is that 52 years? That's got to be up there. Is my math Uh, right? Bruce will kill me if that math is wrong, but I think that's 52 years. Yeah, he can fact check you. But yeah, shout out to the Escanciano family. Yeah. Yeah, So uh, I don't know. I have no idea if they listen. Some of the people listening from Thompson obviously will remember him. Anyone who worked at Inco probably will remember him. Um, Super interesting guy. I remember him uh, teaching me how to do uh, front handsprings on his lawn when I was a little kid, trying very hard to explain to me the science of why he had built this enormous uh, radio tower transmitter in his backyard so he could get radio signals from Spain so he could listen to Spanish radio. Uh, He was a very interesting man, very kind-hearted. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great place to stop it, buddy. And hey, Lester, I'll see you uh, 10 times before we talk to George and Bruce next. And uh, Try not to be dead weight. Okay? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. All right. <laughs> love you, brother. All right. Love you, man. Yeah. Have, have a, a great, have a great evening. Ciao. Matt, you too.